This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 21st, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Thomas Jefferson didn't have his presidency listed on his tombstone, but he was keenly aware of how history would record it. Rob McDonald, a professor of history at the United States Military Academy, is currently working on a book about our third president during his time in office. We spoke during Cato University held earlier this month. Presidents are rated historically uh, based upon what a, a group of historians think about the times they lived in, the opportunities presented uh, to various uh, presidents to preside effectively. And of course, George Washington always comes out on top. Uh, he's well regarded for not clinging to power, for deftly handling things without seeking to gain some sort of uh, advantage. But Thomas Jefferson, who as president was a very different kind of president, is, is also right up there. But in his own time, uh, you're working on a, a, a book related to this subject. What do we know about how Thomas Jefferson was viewed and what he thought of that? Well, Jefferson was uh, – he was loved. He was hated. He was revered. He was reviled. Um, some people literally compared him to Jesus. Others literally described him as the Antichrist. Um, in the 1790s, uh, in the election of 1800, um, he was an incredibly polarizing figure. As we've mentioned in a different recording, the authorship of the Declaration of Independence was not known for many years after it was written. And uh, Jefferson and his proxies used that as a defense against accusations that he was somehow un-American. Yeah, absolutely. During the 1790s, when, when Jefferson was Secretary of State in the Washington administration, when Hamilton was Washington Secretary of the Treasury, they engaged in this extended debate, the very public debate, about what the Constitution meant, um, what sort of government the Constitution authorized. And one of the favorite tactics of Hamilton and the Federalists was to accuse Thomas Jefferson of being somehow foreign. Um, he'd been our ambassador to France. Um, the line was that he'd been contaminated with the ideas of the French Revolution. Um, and yet, what better response to that than to show that Jefferson was, in many respects, the uh, progenitor of the ideas of the American Revolution, that he you know, wrote America's birth certificate um, and set forth the principles around which the United States was supposed to stand. How much sway did newspapers of the day, even leaflets of the day, have with the public when it came to uh, forming their opinions about political leaders or aspiring political leaders? Well, they certainly were the dominant form of media. I mean, in, in, in some regards, I suppose you could argue that they, they were the only form of media. But the papers of the day were extremely partisan. So you have to wonder if they were shaping people's views or merely reinforcing people's views and uh, giving people arguments um, for views that they already had. I think nowadays people sometimes complain that um, our sources of news have become increasingly polarized, but that's really a return to the way things used to be in the 18th century and early 19th century. In modern political tactics, it is said that, that you as a candidate should define your opponent before he is able to define you. To what extent were uh, claims by Alexander Hamilton and other opponents of uh, Thomas Jefferson um, and, and John Adams as well. To what extent were they able to 
in the public's mind? And how do we even know how the public felt about these people uh, from writings of the day? Well, the the newspapers are very good at, at recording um, public demonstrations, at recording uh, celebrations like celebrations of Washington's birthday or the 4th of July, which oftentimes would include um, participatory elements like uh, toasts given at banquets. Um, so you can intelligently read the evidence and see that there was a good deal of success behind the idea that behind the attempts of Federalists to portray Jefferson as sort of a radical demagogue, um, as as someone who was untrustworthy, as someone who uh, was more French than American. Likewise, there was a great deal of success behind Republican uh, efforts to portray John Adams as a monarchist, as someone who was an elitist and out of touch um, and basically full of himself. And that was that seems to be a, a play that is still has a lot of uh, currency with the American public, the idea of portraying somebody as an elitist, as out of touch, as as uh, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama and John McCain and Obama and back through the decades of uh, candidates have tried to portray their opponents as. Yeah, absolutely. Things, things such as um, how the White House was furnished before it was even called the White House, before even the Capitol moved to Philadelphia. Um, but presidential furniture, presidential China, certainly uh, presidential attire um, came under the strictest sort of scrutiny, um, and everything was believed to carry and convey some sort of significant message. When we think of political operatives, people who are acting on behalf of candidates or incumbents, it would seem odd that the president of Yale would be today. I mean, you think of people who are doing this professionally now right, who, are, right. who are just operatives. But the president of Yale was an advocate uh, for Alexander Hamilton and used some particularly charged language in relation to Tom Jefferson. Yeah, I don't know if there was any coordination um, between uh, Timothy Dwight or uh, or, or anyone else um, who's a Federalist. But in 1798, he famously predicted that if, if, if Jefferson were to become president, if the Republicans were to gain power um, – Children would, would be wheedled or terrified into singing heretical hymns. Um, the sacramental supper would be born on an ass in public profession. Um, the Bible would be cast into the bonfire, and all of our wives and daughters would be made the victims of legal prostitution. After Jefferson was elected, none of that actually happened. So, but I mean, today, the corollary, the war on Christianity, a war on Christmas, that sort of thing that, that you want to paint as much as you can your opponents as not representing the cultural values of, of your fellow man. Yeah, that was certainly the attempt. Um, and, uh, you know, supposedly people bought that charge against Thomas Jefferson. They accepted it. Uh, there are reports, I don't know if they're uh, apocryphal or not, of people on the eve of Jefferson's inauguration burying their Bibles in their kitchen gardens or hanging them down wells for fear that t- new President Jefferson was going to dispatch federal troops to seize them. Jefferson, during his presidency, was he responsive to the to public attitudes, the way presidents today look at poll numbers and look at how well certain positions are going to play? I think he was. I think I think that Jefferson, um, to the extent that he could get a sense of public opinion, and, and certainly people wrote letters to him from, you know, all corners of, of the United States. Certainly, uh, he received newspapers from all parts of the United States. Um, I, I think he, he saw what he viewed as 
a rising level of public support as evidence that he was, in fact, uh, doing things right, that the American people approved of his measures, um, that he was gaining their favor. And indeed, if you look at the election of 1804 um, and compare it with the election of 1800, Jefferson won in a landslide. I mean, all of the dire Federalist predictions that had dominated the discourse of the 1790s, none of those things came true. Um, Jefferson led America in, in a time of, of great prosperity. He eliminated all internal taxes. Um, he paid off more than a third of the national debt. Um, I think most people saw his, his administration as uh, a, really a great success, especially in 1804. Following his presidency, he went back to being a farmer for the most part. Uh, and in retrospect, we look at newspaper items uh, about Jefferson. Some of them include his offer of trade in slaves. Was that issue something that, that he uh, thought about? Certainly opinions were uh, strongly divided on that issue at the beginning of the United States. But did that the cha did changing attitudes on that issue affect him at all? I think I think Jefferson was 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 very much affected by attitudes on slavery. I think his own attitudes on slavery uh, evolved. I mean, in in general, it's fair to say that that Jefferson never gave up on slaveholding, but he also never gave up on the recognition that there was something fundamentally wrong about one human being um, owning another human being. He described slavery as like holding the wolf by the ear. You could neither safely hold it nor let it go. Um, there were awful, awful disadvantages to um, being a slaveholder. Um, the guilt, the, the knowledge that you were depriving real human beings of real human rights, um, the fact that you were stealing people's lives away. But in the 18th century and in the 19th century, it was difficult for Jefferson, you know, despite his brilliance, to con contemplate a world um, where black people in America could be productive and happy and safe and free. Um, and like Washington, like Madison, like Monroe, Jefferson clung to uh, a fairly unrealistic notion that Africans and African-Americans in America um, could be emancipated and then sent back. We should put air quotes around that. I mean, of course, many had never been to Africa, but sent back um, to Africa. There was a group called the American Colonization Society that they supported that proposed to do just that. But um, the, sad, the sad truth is, for many members of that generation, Jefferson included, um, there was a real reluctance to imagine an America populated by free white people and free black people. Jefferson just being the third president of the United States, it doesn't seem like there was any tradition of a post-presidency like there is today. In fact, I guess most presidents died shortly after uh, leaving office at, at that time. There wasn't this expectation that you would live a long time, continue doing things, uh, a la Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton. Uh, or, uh, so was there any thought about public opinion of him after he ceased to be president? I think so. I think that, that Thomas Jefferson uh, was very much concerned uh, not only about completing the, a useful and long life, um, but also securing his place in history. 
Um, you know, Jefferson is probably the first really terrific ex-president. Uh, he goes on and his, his little project is to um, create, design, build, select the books for, select the fac faculty for a whole new university, the University of Virginia. Um, and he has the highest ambitions for it. He says it should be the bulwark of the human mind in this hemisphere. So no small project for Thomas Jefferson when he retires. But I, I think he understood that um, he was being watched, not only by the people of the present, but also that his actions would be um, noted by posterity. And that in many respects, he was performing for posterity. He was performing for historians. He was trying to seal uh, his legacy as a person who understood and uh, stood up for the, the principles that made America. You said that he won in a landslide in 1804. To what extent did future candidates uh, seek his approval in public to, hey, this guy's popular. He's with me. You should be with me, too. Jefferson was pretty studious about not uh, entering into politics, not recommending people for appointments to office, um, and not in any formal way endorsing candidates for office. Was that a cultural norm for, for people not to get in, get into that? I, I think to a certain degree it was, sure. I mean, it, it, again, it, it, in the 18th century and in the early 19th century, it was unseemly. It was dangerous to... Uh, to seek power. And anyone who sought power was a person who many people would be uncomfortable um, giving power. So, uh, you know, this, this small r Republican uh, notion of disinterestedness meant that um, if a person accepted office, they did so not for their own gain, not even for their own glory so much as for, for serving the needs of, of, of the public and because that responsibility um, had been pressed upon them. So Jefferson neither offered uh, endorsements nor did people seek them in a formal sense. But everyone understood that James Madison, his secretary of state, um, was uh, in many respects his hand-picked successor. Um, many people understood that James Monroe, uh, another one of Thomas Jefferson's political allies and neighbors from Virginia, um, stood next in line. Uh, Jefferson let it be known to you know, personal friends that in the election of 1824, um, where you have his candidates, Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams, uh, his favorite was William Crawford of Georgia, um, a man who you know did not uh, make it into the uh, the top tier of that election. So he didn't always get his way. Um, and he certainly had opinions about uh, politics and political events. But uh, I, I don't think he tried to hitch his own wagon to um, anybody else's after his own presidency. You say that Thomas Jefferson was pretty cognizant of posterity when it came to his post-presidency. What evidence do we have from his writings that uh, he thought he had done well or done poorly as a president by his own reckoning. Well, Jefferson described during his retirement his own election to the presidency as the, the revolution of 1800. Um, he coined that term after the fact. Uh, he said that it was uh, as, as important a revolution um, in the principles of American government as the revolution of 1776 had been in the form of American government. Uh, he really believed that in many respects, the Federalists were counter-revolutionaries, um, that they were trying to restore some sort of um, Anglo-monarchical um, government within the United States. 
and that he and the you know Republican American people had rescued their revolution from the hands of the Federalists and restored America um, to the, the purpose and the, and the promise that it had back in 1776. Rob McDonald is a professor of history at the United States Military Academy. You can read more about our third president, Thomas Jefferson, at our website, cato.org.